Well, today, Steve will be picking up in Hebrews 10, and he will be continuing on through our series in Hebrews. And he's asked that before he does that, he asked me to read from Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. So if you have your Bibles, and if you can find the book of Habakkuk, please open with me. And we will read chapter 1, verse 12, down to the end of chapter 2 and verse 3. Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net? destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though I, it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning, we're about a third of the way through May, May 10th, uh, Mother's Day. The text I want us to look at this morning is in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 1 through 18, this section is really sort of a, an expansion, uh, a recapitulation. That is, it goes over a lot of previous material in the book of Hebrews, but it presents it in a bit of a climactic way. So a lot of this, there's a lot of strands that the author of Hebrews has been giving us in previous chapters. A lot of these themes he sort of picks up again and, and weaves together. So some of this will sound familiar to you. It ought to sound familiar to you. But he's really sort of clinching it home at this time. Uh, last week, of course, uh, Jake gave us uh, the message for the Sunday morning. And you may recall, you know, so then two, three weeks ago, uh, we looked at Hebrews 9, 1 through 10, and Exodus in terms of tabernacle. Then the last part of Hebrews chapter 9 about Christ providing uh, eternal redemption. How it was his shed blood. Uh, that provided access for us to God uh, because he purified the heavenly places themselves, uh, that he is the high priest who has already brought good things to us. Uh, so the, the author now is sort of building on those themes that Christ, we we're just told right before uh, chapter 10 begins, you know, it's destined, people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. Christ died once as a sacrifice 
He's not coming again to take away the sins of many people. He's coming again to bring salvation to everyone who is waiting in faith for him. Then the author says, uh, writing in his own words, but also writing the very word of God. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, Every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again he, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. The law, we're told here in verse 1, is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. As I already mentioned, you know, this text goes over previous material, sort of summing it up driving the major points home. The one here, again, is that the law was only to serve a particular time. It was only ever a shadow. It was never the fullness of the reality. It, it was never designed to actually make people perfect. That's why they were offered again and again and again and again. Uh, sort of the, the, the perpetual uh, movement 
the perpetual sort of a momentum in, in this sacrificial system was proof that it was actually never really effective. It was never efficacious. Uh, the reason you had to keep doing this, in, in this author's opinion, was because nothing that you were doing was actually working. You weren't actually making people perfect. You weren't actually solving the problem of sin. Verse 2 says, otherwise would they have not have stopping offered. In other words, if it worked, if you actually had a sacrifice of atonement that atoned for sin, you wouldn't need to keep offering otherwise. The, the reason that it kept being offered, the reason that this sacrificial system sort of continued endlessly year after year was, was, was a demonstration of its failure. The worshippers were not cleansed in their consciences. The worshippers still felt guilty for sin. In fact, every year that Day of Atonement, we were told, was nothing more than a reminder of sin. Think about how different Think about how different things are for us in the New Covenant era. I, I, I realize that, you know, a, a few weeks ago, a, a, almost a month ago now, uh, we were not able to meet on Good Friday. We were not able to meet on Easter Sunday. But, but our church calendar... Our annual reminders are of the, the substitutionary death of Christ that actually provided atonement for sin. As a reminder of victory over sin. The Day of Atonement in the Old Covenant was an annual reminder of your guilt. Our uh, memory of uh, the crucifixion of Christ is, is a reminder of the conquering power of Jesus that takes away our guilt. Easter Sunday is a reminder that Jesus Christ is vindicated. He has conquered death and hell. He's been raised to life. And everyone who trusts in him, everyone who has union with him, is set free eternally from the power of death and sin. So, so what we remember, what we gather, remember, what we gather uh, to remember in normal times every Sunday is the resurrection. So why we meet on the first day of the week, the day that Jesus was raised to life. Our, our memories are charged with victory because Jesus Christ is the one we remember. The Old Covenant was a dismal reminder every year of your failure and guilt before God. It was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Not only didn't they take away sin, they couldn't take away sin. It was literally impossible. For one, they're the wrong species. I mean, thoughtful Israelites, they must have just fully understood. That that goat, that lamb, that, that bull, its death actually doesn't make up for the fact that I lied and stole and cheated or, or did whatever it was. No, you, you need a perfect moral being to pay the penalty of moral being. Only a human being could atone for human sin. This is why, verse 5, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, quoting the Psalms, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. 
It is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, my God. So what Christ does is he recognizes in coming into the world that he is not coming into the world to offer these sacrifices of, of bulls and goats and all of the rest. Rather, God doesn't want the sacrifices. God wants obedience. This, this has logical priority, obviously. You only have sacrifices because of disobedience. You only have sacrifices of atonement, guilt offerings, sin offerings, etc., because people have sinned, because people have disobeyed the law of God. They have failed to conform to the moral standards of Yahweh. And so God doesn't want all these burnt offerings. He doesn't want all these sin offerings and guilt offerings. What he wants is for you not to do the things that require those offerings in the first place. That's what he really wants. You don't desire these kind of offerings. You're not pleased with the guilt offering, the sin offering. You're pleased with obedience. And so Christ comes into the world to obey. He comes to do the will of God. And in doing the will of God, he just sets aside all those other sacrifices. They're just gone. Now, even David, of course, Psalm 51, recognizes that after sin, an animal sacrifice just isn't good enough. What God wants is contrition. What God wants is repentance. What God wants is a clean heart, pure hands. So Christ comes into the world, sets apart, sets aside all those types of sacrifices. They're not going to be needed for him because he's just going to obey the will of God. And, 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 he, was, and he accomplished this. Christ never has to go to the temple to, have, to present a guilt or sin offering to God because he wasn't guilty or sinful. Christ did God's will. He did God's, his, he did God's righteous will. That is, all the requirements of God's righteousness were fulfilled by Christ. But he also did God's redemptive will. That is, God willed for redemption to take place in this world, and Christ came as our Redeemer. In order to accomplish this, Christ needed to be a human being. We've already seen this in the early chapters of Hebrews. How God the Son becomes incarnate. That is, God the Son takes on human flesh. Full deity takes to himself, assumes to himself, a full collection of human attributes. That is, he is fully God and fully man. Jesus of Nazareth was a genuine human being in every possible way. Fully God and fully man. He has a human body, a, a human nature in which he can serve God and perform the will of God as a human being. And then as a human being, because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin, he will die as a substitute on the cross, bearing the wrath of God, dying in the place of his people. God gave him a body. And in that body, in that human nature, Jesus lived as a perfect human being. And then submitted his body to death, dying in the place of his people. The body God gave to Jesus, Jesus gave back to God on the cross. 
And then God gave back to Jesus in a glorified way through resurrection life. I mean, you, you, you think perhaps today, uh, being Mother's Day, you, you think about uh, Psalm 139, how God is very, very beautifully and wondrously forms and crafts our, our body, our life in our mother's womb. Today, you know, it, culturally, societally, we, we remember mothers. But you must re remember this. It's actually God who made you. It's God the one putting you together. It's, it's the Father, God the Father, who's creating you and forming you in the womb of your mother, yes. Drawing nourishment from her body, yes. But the life comes from God. The formation comes from God. Jesus was knit together in the womb of the Virgin Mary. But it was God who gave him the body. A body you prepared for me. Your body, your human life, was prepared for you by God himself. And you are responsible to offer your body to God Paul, remember in Romans 12, 1, after, after those br brilliant, uh, hard to decipher in places, but that brilliant theological exposition of the gospel and its entailments in Romans 1, uh, in Romans chapters 1 through 11, hits chapter 12, verse 1, is a bit of a transition. Therefore, it is in light of all that I've said. What are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do in light of all that God is and what he's done for you in Christ? Well, you, you offered your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Why? Because the same way that God gave Jesus a body, so that God, Jesus could do his will as a human being, God gives you a body, God gives you a human nature, that, so that you can live as a human being, pleasing and honoring to him. Offer your body to God as a living sacrifice, not to death, but, but every day live as a human being for God. That's what it means. Dedicate yourself completely to God, holy and pleasing to Him. God gave Jesus a body and Jesus gave it back to God. God gives you a body. Dedicate it to God in the same way. By that will, we have been made holy. We, as sinful as we are, we have been made holy. This is positional. That is, He's already positioned us as holy beings. We're not just being uh, being made. We're not just being made holy. That is in the process of sanctification. Here, it's we have been made holy. That is, Christ has set us aside. We already belong to God. He set us apart to belong to God. Yes, there's a process of sanctification in this life. Yes, there's consummation in the future. But already through Christ, God looks at us as being dedicated to Himself. Verse 11 reminds us, again, of the futility of what the other priests did. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. 
again and again he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. That is, it was an exercise in futility. It, it was an exercise in futility if it was actually supposed to, to provide redemption. It wasn't an exercise in futility as a prophetic system. As a prophetic system, it was brilliant, pointing you to Jesus. It fulfilled that purpose, uh, purpose marvelously. But in terms of actually accomplishing atonement and forgiveness and all of the rest, it, it just never could do any of that. It wasn't designed to. It was designed as a prophecy, not as a fulfillment. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And we've already seen this earlier in Hebrews. Jesus offers himself, atones for sin, and then is installed to reign and rule over all things. This actually raises the, an issue, the issue for Paul in, in Corinthians. If Jesus is reigning over all things, why do we see the world the way it is? Well, verse 13 here says, Since that time he waits for his enemies to meet his footstool. In other words, just like Paul wrestling in Corinth with this issue, Christ is ruling and reigning now, but the consummation of all things has not yet taken place. Paul will say that death is the last enemy. In other words, Christ is conquering, he's vanquishing, the Father is vanquishing all of the enemies of Christ. They're the footstool, they're, they're the, what Christ rests his feet on. They're all going to be defeated. In principle, they're all defeated now. We see the defeat of many of the powers of darkness as time goes on. But all of, the end, but all of his enemies will only be ultimately put away at the end. The last enemy we're told to be destroyed will be death itself. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And notice that. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We who were his enemies, who could have been made his footstool, have actually been reconciled to him. Reconciliation is one of those uh, you know, beautiful theological categories for one of the blessings that are ours in redemption. We who are God's enemies have been brought into a right relationship with him, restored to a right relationship with him through Christ. And so though we could be destroyed as, as his enemies, we who are his enemies have been reconciled to him. And not only has he reconciled uh, us to him through his sacrifice, he's made us perfect. And don't, don't, don't rush past that. You, the enemy of God, can be perfect through what Christ has done. Perfect! Not lacking anything in any way. Absolutely perfect. Forever. You, if you are in Christ, you will be perfect forever. For those of you who have ever wanted to be perfect, through Jesus, you will be. Through what he's done, he's made you perfect. You're a perfect person. Forever. Don't take my word for it. Don't even take the author of Hebrews' words for it. Because it's the Holy Spirit who says so. The Holy Spirit, verse 15, also testifies to us about this. 
First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Again, there's a reminder of those new covenant promises. The law of God, the will of God is put inside of you so that your will responds to it. Your sins and lawless acts God doesn't remember anymore. They've been taken care of. They will never be brought against you. If I wasn't, if I wasn't alone in the church library, I might say hallelujah. Those sins and lawless acts will never be charged against us in all of eternity. Where these have been forgiven, and they have been, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Because all those sacrifices were because of sin. Our sin is gone. Our sin is forgiven. No more sacrifices need to be offered because of the sacrifice of our high priest, Jesus Christ, our substitute who died in our place. Jesus is the perfect Savior who makes us perfect. So dedicate yourself to him. Imitate him. In the same way that Jesus dedicated himself fully to God, dedicate yourself fully to God. Follow the, in the footsteps of Jesus. He has made you, through union with him, perfect forever. May God help us to live out that reality. May God help us to live that out and to look forward to that day when Christ returns. When the new heavens and new earth are created, when we experience resurrection, when we live perfected forever, together, centered around God in unbroken, ceaseless worship and praise. May God bless you. May you feel his presence richly this day.